And if I need to, like, make them MP3s or something and burn it for you again, I can do that. Because they're not MP3s. I think they're AIF or something. You love it. <coughs> Is that another iPad Mini? I see. Isn't it wonderful? Don't you love it? I haven't really got to use it yet. Oh, it's don't so mind. Like She's like, no, actually, I hate it. Absolutely. No, I hate it. It's horrible. It's the worst thing in the world. I'll go back to my end. This thing sucks. Well, whatever. Okay, wow. I feel like it's been like a million years since I've seen it yet, so it's kind of cool to be here. With my coffee. Is necessary. I remember, you guys know who Corey Russell is? If you don't, you need to know who Corey Russell is. I've heard the name. Oh. I don't get I'll, 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 I'll burn a CD or two for you. He's he's a pre, like, preacher slash teacher guy from IHOP uh, in KC. And he's unbelievable. And, uh, and uh, yeah, anyway, he came to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's a spot right here. I know, bye. He came to Fort Wayne, to the house of prayer here in Fort Wayne for a couple of things. And uh, the, we did a morning session, and it's like 9 o'clock in the morning, and we're just kind of warming up, and then someone brings him coffee, and he's like, the anointing has arrived. <laughs> I was like, that explains so much. Did you watch him at one thing? Yeah. 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 He was cool. Yeah, he's awesome. I really, really... Although I have to say, if you see him pray, he makes the ugliest facial expressions. <laughs> um, when he prays, he he looks constipated. I mean, he has tears like running down his cheeks. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, on screen because. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> I went to the call in 2007, which was unbelievable. It was like 15 hours of worship and prayer and. Uh, Whatever, and there's thirty thousand of us in the football stadium there, and all just going after it at when it's ninety four degrees outside, and there was no roof on the. It was crazy, but it was in uh, uh, Nashville, and uh, it was July seventh. Hi, Sophie. <laughs> I missed you. I've missed you too. I've missed all of you. It's been so much. Well, I didn't miss you guys. The people you haven't met yet. But I missed everybody else. I missed you in theory. I missed you in spirit. I don't know. How does that work? Anyway. And yeah, they put him up on the screen and he's like, and I was just like, oh my gosh. And later on, I saw some pictures people had taken from, from it and just the facial expressions they caught of him praying. I have to say, when he prayed is when like the Holy Ghost really just went into the whole place and we're all like whoa I remember turning to Doug Romy who was there with us and I was like and he was like so it was, yeah. we were both like okay God's in the room thank you thank you it's kind of bug- it, it's bugging me today I don't it's the best like, time to ever try to play. He walked in, and Vicky and I both started singing at the same time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's still playing in my head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the entire time, but I don't know. All right, we have the we have we we have the 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 fun. Of, we are going to get through Romans twelve and thirteen today. Both of them. Both, Both of them. Oh, I believe in you. These chapters are going to be easier to do this with. Let me let me help you understand something real quick. Okay. <laughs> 
the Apostle Paul, uh, uh, you know, he kind of puts his letters together pretty much the same way every time. Okay, there's a greeting, kind of an explanation of this is what I'm writing to you, and then he goes off into this gorgeous theological, deep teaching time where it's just like, blah, you know, and, and it's the stuff that I get completely lost in for hours at a time where I'm just like, I love the Apostle Paul! And I just, you know, just, which is the total reason why I asked Nathan and Sophie if I could teach the letters of Paul because it, those sections of his letters just, ah And then, about, and then he gets to a certain point, okay, kind of closes his argument, and then he says, now here's what that looks like practically, which you know, there's a lot of people. I'm not one of them. I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm a, I'm you know a theologian and 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 that's I love theology. I like to think deeply about things. And people are like, but what does that look like practically? I'm like, meh. Um, you know, somebody else will figure that out for you. I, I just want to uh, get lost in beauty and glory and enjoy myself and, oh, I like the, practical. and the practical stuff. You know, whatever. I mean, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, that's you know I just don't have any energy on it let me just say it that way okay I, I, I love the the deep and the theological and the and the mystical that's what I like okay and then when we get to the practical it's like I think my wife will handle that part yeah. it's really a good thing my the, the Lord gave me my wife is probably one of the most practical people on the planet. I like your wife, you like. I do too. She's amazing. And and she's very possibly one of the most practical people on the planet, which is very good because I'm so not. I'm so like, I'm going to go dance in the clouds with Jesus. Woo! <laughs> and when it comes to practicality, I'm like, boring. I have no time or energy for that. You guys figure that out. I don't care. Um, and Rachel's very, no, I need to know how this is going to work. A, B, C, D, E, I want one, two, three, you know, that's, that's what she wants, okay, and so I, I love that about her, and as a leader, I have to have people around me that are that way, because I will totally just be like, let's not talk about that, let's just talk about Jesus, you know, and I, that's, you know, that's why, I, that's why I'm much more of a teacher prophet than I am a pastor, pastors are practical people. And um, they have to be because they're—it's all about life and walking through things and you know and and getting stuff done. And that's just not my—that's not my makeup. It's not who I am. I have to think about that sometimes, but I don't do it. I don't enjoy it. So <clears throat> anyway, so Romans chapter one through eleven is all that highfalutin craziness. And then we get to and we get to Romans chapter twelve. <laughs> it is. It's wonderful. That's why I love it. And you get to Romans chapter twelve, and he says, "Okay, and this is what that looks like practically." That's that's where we he makes the uh, the shift, the segue, shall we say, into the practical part of his letter. So it's easier to go through the practical stuff uh, quick. Because I don't have to do a whole lot of explanation. It's pretty simple. It is, he's saying what he means and he means what he says. And there's no... You don't have to do thought exercises to really grasp it. And so it's going to be easier to do. And in my opinion, a little more boring. Although, it's not boring. It's still fun because it's... Well, it's great. Okay. So, um, now we kind of... We did, I, I didn't have time to do the last section of chapter 11, and if I did try to, it would take us the rest of our time together. 
The last section of chapter 11 is a really deep, really theological reality. We're not going to go there today, although I want to say my, literally my life verse. In fact, I used to have a website called this. Is Romans 11.36, which is, From him, through him, to him be all things. To God be the glory forever. If you just, I can get lost in that phrase. From him, and through him, and to him be all things. I can get lost in that phrase for a decade. It's so massive. In fact, I, I taught a, uh, I taught a three-day class, which is literally three days long. It was like from nine o'clock until four o'clock every day for three days, and all we did was talk about from him, through him, to him for three, for three days, and the biblical application of that reality. It was, I had so much fun teaching it too, but that, that reality, from God comes everything, through God everything exists, and everything exists, exists back to him as a gift from God to God through God it's beautiful and um and I would invite you into that that mental exercise and just feast on the glory of the reality that God is the reason that everything exists um he's the reason it exists because he created it he's the reason it exists because he sustains it and he's the reason it exists because it was made for him it was, and it's made about him. The whole reason the universe exists is because God is amazing. Okay, so just just spend some time drinking that, and you'll get really, really jacked up. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now, out of that, out of that, to God be the glory forever. Okay, that's that's where Paul's coming from. He's coming from, you know. I think he probably had to like, you know, say those words and then just lay on the floor and go. Ah! For a couple hours, and then he was able to stand up and see. Paul actually dictated his letters, and so um, <clears throat> probably why they're kind of because he wasn't yeah. actually writing; he was just yeah. literally. Talking. Yeah, he, uh, he I, there's very there's very little editing. <coughs> okay, which is one of the reasons I love Paul. He's so ADD. He's so like <laughs> he's beautiful. That's why Paul and I get along because then, like when I'm speaking, it's like pew 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 pew. But you know. They call me crazy and they call him, you know, the greatest apostle ever. <laughs> I'm not comparing myself to the Apostle Paul, just FYI. I don't, everything that I enjoy, I get from him, not from myself, but anyway. Okay, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay. We are going to, I'm going to break, I've broken up this, this, uh, th these two chapters, if I can get my iPad to cooperate, into a few sections here. And the first one is this. This is kind of the, the uh, introduction to that practical part where the Apostle Paul says, Okay, now that we've talked about all of this amazing highfalutin craziness, and not, now that we've seen that, and we've, we've tasted of the glory of the grace of God, this is what this looks like in view of the mercy of God. So he spent chapters talking about the grace of God. And we've spent hours in here talking about this unbelievable reality that God has given to us as a gift, his righteousness. And in that place, we glorify him. It's just unbelievable. These realities that go beyond our human ability to, to comprehend in view of those things, now 
This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to respond to God. I want you to see those things and be shifted and be changed and be un, you know, and let it shape the way that you live. And it begins here. It begins by saying, because that is true, all of me belongs to all of him. I am a living sacrifice unto God. It's literally the only logical response to the grac- graciousness, glory, and beauty of God. That we have no other honest response. And here's the truth. If we properly understand and fully believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will respond this way. Period. And the truth is, if you aren't responding this way, and what I mean by this way is giving the whole of your life as a living sacrifice (laughs) unto God. If you aren't doing that, it's because you don't properly understand or fully believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you did, there's no, there's no ability to respond any other way. If you see it, and you understand it, and you fully believe it, you will respond by saying, Everything I am belongs to you, God! There's not another way to respond. We don't have, I mean, it's just, it's the knee-jerk reaction of the human heart. When we see the truth and the grace and the mercy and the beauty of God and all that He has done for us, though we deserve nothing of it, we will respond. But it's just, just instantly, we're going to act like Jesus. That's, that's, that's what happens in the human heart when we see the truth and believe it. That's, that's, how, that's what happens. That's why the gospel is so beautiful. Because the gospel doesn't impose upon us some rule of living that comes from outside that's going to get smashed down on top of you, and if you don't do it this way, it's, you're going to go to hell. That's not how the gospel works. The gospel says, look at this! And we automatically go, ah! And we just change, and it just we shift. We don't have a choice. All of a sudden we become kinder people. We become loving people. We become like Jesus because we see, that's true, oh my gosh, wow! And we become something else. That's how the gospel is supposed to work. See, so often and in so many... you know, in The, the church has got this so messed up. <laughs> and a lot of times they use this verse to do it, which doesn't make any sense at all. They say, okay, because Jesus has done so much for you, you should buckle down and be good little soldiers. What? (laughs) It's, first of all, the whole book of Romans prior to this point has been trying to convince you of the truth. You have no ability in yourself to to act like Jesus at all. <laughs> that you can't. That you've never been able to look like God. And, and God knows that. And so he died on the cross to change your inner nature. That's the whole point. That's what he did. That's why the gospel exists. Because you can't do it. And now the Apostle Paul is saying, now that we see this, this is what it's going to look like. We are going to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God because we have no other reasonable response. That's why it says this is your reasonable response to worship. So people will try and tell you that what he's saying is, that, 
If you want to be reasonable, you're going to offer your body as a living sacrifice. No. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, if you can see the truth and not respond by offering your body as a living sacrifice, there's something wrong with you. Your head is messed up. Okay? Either you don't see it and, or you don't believe it. One of the two. When we don't offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, it isn't, it isn't because we're just rebellious, horrible people. It's because we don't understand the truth or we don't believe it. It's one of those two realities. You sin still because you don't understand the truth or you don't believe the truth. That's why sin still ha- is coming out of your life. That's why you still manifest the fruit of sin. It's because either you haven't seen it or you don't believe it. Most of the time for Christians, it's the we don't believe it part. But there are a lot of things that we haven't seen. Realities in the gospel that nobody's ever taught us. This is the biggest reason why you need to be in scripture. Because if you haven't seen it, you won't respond. Does that make sense? If you haven't tasted it, you're going to stay the same. Always. You don't have the ability in yourself to act like Jesus. You just don't. But when you see the truth, and when you believe it, you'll change. Your whole body will become a living sacrifice. It will, it will happen. Without effort. Without trying. Let me prove to you what I'm talking about. Um, well, I will in a minute. <clears throat> Okay, so he's saying we give all of ourselves to God, not out of duty or out of some sense of, uh, out of some fear of punishment, but out of joy and worship and it's a response to his grace. We see him moving toward us with grace and mercy and love and the instant reaction of our hearts is, I love you. And that changes everything about who we are. We make decisions out of the emotional part of who we are. That's the, that's the truth. And when God shifts how you feel about Him, He shifts how you respond to Him. And when He is the delight of our heart, we will respond appropriately. Okay? He says, let the gospel transform you. By the way, well, let me go back and read further. Um, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And, and this in the ESV, I actually don't like it as much because it says, which is your spiritual worship. But the truth is, in the original Greek, he's saying, this is what it makes sense to do. This is your, your reasonable response to the mercy of God. Do not now, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That... That right there, verse 2, Romans 12, 2, should be, it's another one of those tattoo this on your soul verses, okay? Because this is, the, this is something that we have to grab hold of with both hands, okay? Let the gospel work. We love to dilute the gospel with the opinions of our culture, with the, the, the swirl of the universe in which we exist. Okay? 
but the universe in which we exist, all the people around us, in truth, I'm sorry to say this is true, but in truth, a lot of the Christians around us are looking at the world the way the world looks at the world. And they're not looking at the universe and the world through the eyes of the gospel. Through the, the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Apostle Paul is saying, understand that it is easy, it's really easy, to let our perception shift back from a gospel perception and back into the worldly perception. It is so easy to do. And Christmas break is horrible about that. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? How hard was it to actually to actually read your Bible while you were on break? How hard was it to actually spend time in, in Scripture and in worship and in prayer while you were on break? It was tough, right? Wasn't it? I know it's hard, it's hard for me. I mean, when I'm not working or whatever, and my, my routine gets messed up, you know, there's, I'll go a couple days without, without reading or without... And, and, and you get this dullness in your spirit where you're not even hungry for the Lord, you know, and it's just like, I just want to chill out and, and watch Christmas movies. And, 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 you know, and honestly, I don't think that that's, that that's a horrible thing you know, when we do it for a day or, or you know, whatever, yeah, take some downtime. That's totally cool. But don't let, your, don't let your heart shift back to a worldly perspective on who you are, on who the world is. It is the quickest, easiest way to doubt God's leadership in your life, to doubt the path that you're currently on, to doubt all of the decisions that you've made from that gospel perspective, right? How, you know, I can't, when, when I was in Master's Commission, I was in Master's Commission for a year and a half, and, uh, and when I was in Master's Commission, Christmas break for Master's Commission, everybody screwed up, like everybody, like the whole, the whole team. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. There's probably two or three of us that didn't. Um, I, I spent time with the, with the girl I'd been dating before Master's Commission, during that time, which I wasn't supposed to, obviously. Um, uh, we had another one of our team members actually impregnate his former girlfriend over Christmas vacation. Yeah. Um, we had two or three, yeah, we had two or three of our people that did not, that did not come back after Christmas break. Um, it was this big, it was this big explosion that just, that just happened. And you know why it happened? Because we had been running at this high level where we're just saturated in the things of God. You know, and it's like, I love this and this is great and everybody was doing really well. And then it was like, left to our own devices, what happens? Crash, burn. We lose the ability. We, we stepped away from looking at things the way, through the, through the lens of the gospel. And we began to connect, to connect again with a a former way of looking at the world and looking at ourselves and, 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 you know, those doubts and those thoughts begin to creep in. And <clears throat> for some of us, it was, you know, it literally destroyed them. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you can't afford to do that. It's so easy to do, but you can't afford to do it. Don't let your culture and the world around you conform you. Don't let it shift you don't let it shape you, but be transformed. Now, I love this word because in the Greek, it is the exact same word 
that it's used for Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. When it says Jesus was transfigured or transformed, okay? It, that is the same word that Paul is using about you and me in this verse right here. So think about that. And Paul was not unaware of that connection. He's saying it is the same thing. It's the same thing. Be transfigured like Christ on top of the mountain. Be transfigured to reflect the glory of God by the gospel that's alive in you. By the renewal of your mind. Remember, we t- we've talked about this before. We are a threefold being, right? This, this thing, which is the flesh, okay? Which is, uh, right now, it's our, outer, it's our outer shell. It's the way we greet the world. And then, and then there is our soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay? And then there's your spirit. And when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came in and recreated your spirit, which had been dead from the time you were born and from the time you were conceived. The Holy Spirit came in and breathed new life into your spirit. And it rose from the resurrection, began inside of you on the moment that you had faith. Resurrection began. Boom! And resurrection life is now shooting out through through your spirit into your soul, which is your mind. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about right here. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying, let the resurrection power that is at work through in your spirit transform your mind the same way that it has already transformed your spirit. Let it seep out. Let it, let it move forward through your soul. Let, let everything change. Let everything shift. Let the gospel that awakened your spirit begin to change and awaken your soul and transform your mind so that you think and act and feel like God. Now, I'm not saying that you're a god, blah, blah, blah. There's going to be these people out there that are going to try and forget it. The, do, you, do, you know about the, do you know about the faith movement? Okay, you probably don't. Okay, there's a group of people out there, and I talk a lot about faith, so you're going to be like, is, this, is that what Pastor Josh is? No. <laughs> there's a group of people, and in fact, we're going to be talking about faith a lot today. So, but there's this group of people out there that say that, that the Bible teaches that because of faith, we... We're, we shape the universe, blah, 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 like we're little gods, okay? And, the, and there's this verse that gets taken out of context where Jesus looks at the, looks at the Pharisees and says, does it not say ye are gods? Okay, um, I will do a teaching on that some other time. It's all bullcrap, okay? If you understand the reality of faith, and we're going to get there in a minute, but if you understand the reality of faith, all we're doing is birthing the dream of God into the world. That's all we're doing, but that... That resurrection power that exists on the inside of us, faith releases it out. Belief releases it out. As we align our thought patterns to those of the Lord, as we begin to think the way that he thinks and care about what he cares about, one of the primary prayers that I pray over myself is, Jesus, I want to care about what you care about. I want to be stirred by the things that stir you. And I, I don't want to be stirred by the things that don't stir you. But I, I want to be stirred by the things that stir you. I want to, be, to, to, to burn for the things that you burn for. In the, in the prayer room back in the day when I was doing the morning prayer times, we used to, we used to sing this, uh, oh man, we used to, we used to sing this chorus. It, <clears throat> when, 
for about a year, uh, we would, it was about an hour and a half every uh, three days a week that I would, 6 a.m., we'd be, we'd start up, and it was me on a guitar and somebody on a djembe and then three other singers, and we would just go. And for about a, well, I we actually did that for three years, but like the last year of that, I decided I'm not bringing any worship music with me to the prayer room. We're just going to do all spontaneous, like period. We're not, we're not going to do any songs anybody's ever heard. We're just going to sing into, into, you know, just right out of the scripture and go. And we did it and it was glorious. And, 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 um, but one of the, but there were phrases that would come out that we would sing again later. One of them was, uh, we would, we would sing out of the Song of Solomon all the time. Um, and uh, one of the one of the phrases was, "Your eyes are fiery tonight. I'll dance with you to the morning light." And we would sing that like for like twenty minutes, just <laughs> your eyes, you know. And it's just one that had come out like we had been singing "Song of Solomon," and the, and and that phrase came out of my mouth, and I was like, "Oh, that's so how I feel." And I just began singing that. But one of them was uh, one of the other phrases. You know, in, in, in the book of Revelation, it talks about Jesus having fiery eyes, and it's a picture of the passion, the, the uncompromising, fiery passion in the heart of Jesus. Jesus said that your eyes are windows to your soul, and if you want to see Jesus' soul, it's just pure fire. And, uh, and yeah, it's so good, right? And so, uh, and, and one of the phrases that we would sing is we would just be like, I want to burn with the fire in the eyes of Jesus. We would just sing that. And, and, and that was our way of praying, Jesus, the things that you are so passionate about, I want to be consumed with the same passion that consumes you. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the things that consume the heart of Jesus consume you. Can you imagine what kind of passion it takes to walk on the earth, to walk on this mud ball, Okay? as a human being for 33 years, to be spit on and hated by the people that should have loved you the most, and then to look at them as they nail you to the cross and say, I forgive you because you don't know what you're doing. What kind of passion does it take to do that? Let that understanding fire you. Let that, let that reality, as you gaze upon Jesus, Mike Bickle says it this way, he says, let us set our cold hearts before the bonfire of the heart of God. And I love that. And so, yes, I want to see what's going on in the heart of God, and I want to burn the same way He does, and I'll never burn as hot as He does, it's just not possible, but I want to burn like He does. I want to, I want to care about the things that He cares about. And the Apostle Paul is saying, look, this is what the gospel will do. It will transform your emotional DNA one line at a time as you dwell on it, as you breathe it in, as you eat it up, as you, as you spend time saying, this is what I care about. I, Jesus, transform me. As you, as you stir yourself and say, please, please make me like you. Okay, As that's going on, you will begin to more and more to be transfigured, transformed, completely overhauled by the passion of God. And it's, you will begin to look like Jesus. And every once in a while, um, you know, I've been praying this for a long time, and every once in a while uh, I'll hear something on the news, or somebody will tell me a story, and, the, and this emotion will just rise up in me 
that's not mine. It's like, it's like, whoa, where did that come from? Why am I so like, I'll start weeping or I'll just be like, Rah! okay, like, like for instance, um, have you ever seen Horton Hears a Who? Okay, have you ever seen that? Okay. Um, in, 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 the, in, in the prayer movement, okay, there was this lady, she was praying for the end of abortion and she had this dream, this vision. I don't remember if it was a dream or a vision. I think it was a dream. Where God took her upstairs in this in this house, and 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 she opened up this thing, and in there were these were these books, and it was Dr. Seuss. It was Horton Hears a Who, and she's like, what the, what you know? I don't understand. Well, she began to read it. She began to understand. She began to see what God was talking about. Because what is that book about? A person's a person, no matter how small. Right? If that's not an argument to end abortion. I don't know what is. And she went, so in that and and so I went into watching that movie with that on my heart, okay? And that moment when they're going, "We are here." I was weeping uncontrollably in the theater. My wife was like, "What is wrong with you?" And I was like, "It's the cry of the unborn." I was like, I was so like, so moved, so completely shook up in that moment. I'm just like, "They are here!" I just want to stand up and go, "Please!" You know, and I was totally ready to go into a prayer moment right there. Like, I wanted to be like, "Oh God, end abortion!" Oh God, you know. I'm so like, it just. <laughs> my kids are all sitting there like what's wrong with dad oh my gosh but it just just i mean and it was uncontrollable and that wasn't me that was that was my prayer break my heart for what breaks yours and the holy spirit was like let me give you a glimpse of what i feel about this and it's just Un, un, I, I was undone by it to the point where I literally can't talk about the abortion issue for more than five minutes because I just have to go somewhere and cry. I, I, I can't deal. And I want, I want God's passion about everything that he's passionate about to be that vivid and real in my emotions. I want my... The, I really truly want to care about the things that he cares about. And just as important, I don't want to care about things that he doesn't care about. I think the church is not horrible at caring about the things that Jesus cares about. But we're terrible about making things important that aren't important to him at all. The sermon's gone. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to cough it. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> don't think I care. Like he's I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> all right. Um, he said, and it says, all right, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you're able to test and approve what is the will of God. Hear this. Followers of Jesus and people that believe and love the gospel, we don't live by a set of rules that get smashed down on top of us to tell us you know, that, that, that we walk under that burden forever. We live by a set of values that are planted in our hearts that come growing up from the inside and that change our behavior far better than any set of regulations ever could. Think about the way you treat the ones you love. 
is, is, do you need a set of rules to tell you to treat them kindly? Do you need a set of rules to tell you to bless them or to give them gifts or to... You don't need a set of rules to tell you how to treat people you love. You automatically treat them with honor and respect and joy. You have your moments where you don't, obviously. You have your moments of flesh where you just... Okay, I know that. That's true of everybody. But you think about ways to bless them. You think about ways to make their life better. You think about ways to... And nobody had to come to you and tell you, you know, uh, according to the handbook of loving people, you should be doing this. Nobody had to do that. Why? Because that's not necessary. When love is unleashed in our hearts, it changes who we are. And that's really what the rest of chapter 12 and chapter 13 are all about. And we're going to go through it. But what the gospel looks like is letting your life be ruled by love. Love for everyone that you encounter. That's what the gospel looks like. That's what it looks like to be someone transformed by the gospel because you understand I did nothing to earn what I've been given. And so I can give everything away. without any fear. <clears throat> I don't... N- <laughs> I didn't get what I was owed. I got so much better than what I was owed. And so I can pour out to everyone around me far more than they deserve. And that's exactly what I should do. And it's exactly what I will do. And that's what love does. It erupts in generosity, in kindness, in patience, gentleness, self-control. It's this beautiful thing. We begin to act like Jesus. What? It's so weird. You're not going to lie to someone you love because that would be a betrayal of your love. You're not going to treat them like crap because that's, that re- you love them. Why would you do that? Right? And that's what the gospel does. It unleashes love on the inside of the human spirit, which makes us far better than someone who's ruled by some kind of moral code. Someone ruled by a moral code is going to do only what the moral code requires, and that's all. Right? We're just going to be said, look, this is what you do. Okay? One of my favorite uh, illustrations of this, okay? It, it, and I'm totally stealing this from John Piper, but he doesn't care. Um, so, okay, I love my wife. We've been married for 15 years, almost. And say I show up on July 31st, which is our anniversary, at the door, and I ring the doorbell to my own house, okay? And she comes to the door, and she opens the door, and she's like, what are you ringing the doorbell for? And then I pull out 24 long stem red roses, which are my wife's favorite. Oh. And she looks and she's like, oh, I love roses. And she's like, what, what's that? What, you know, what's this about? And I'm like, baby, the babysitter's here and I'm taking you away for the weekend because there's nothing I want to do more than spend the next couple days with you. Okay? She's really going to like that, yes? I hope so. (laughs) Right? But what if I come to the door... And I ring the doorbell, and then I, you know, and she's like, she's like, what? And I pull the roses out, and she's like, what, what, what is this all about? And I'm like, 
Um, I was informed that in order to have a happy marriage that I should probably, uh, it is my duty to take you um, away on a weekend and I want to perform my duty to you appropriately. Do you think she's going to go anywhere with me? Do you think she's going to care at all? She's going to be like, she's, she's going to take the roses and slam the door in my face. That's what she's going to do. Okay, why? Why? Because the second one was it wasn't loving. The second one wasn't from love. It was out of a moral code. It was out of me. I am fulfilling my duties to you as a husband. That is such crap. Nobody wants that. Nobody. Nobody wants that. Why don't you want that? Because it's not loving. Well, and let me ask you a question. It's not loving. That's very true. Let me ask you a question. I'm doing the same thing. Because it's it is. the heart oh, behind yes, what you're doing. My actions are the same. Right? I mean, the general act of, yeah, taking her out. Yeah. yeah, my actions are the same. So why shouldn't she be equally delighted? You're not in the second one. Your heart's do, not in it. Do I honor her with the second? It's a duty. Do I glorify her in the second? No. You see, in the second, she doesn't feel valued. I love these words, worth, value. Because the truth about glorifying God is acknowledging His worth. Acknowledging His value. And saying, God, you're the most valuable thing in the universe. And when I do that for my wife, I'm acknowledging her value and her worth. In truth, glorifying her, which is not, not that's okay. I'm glorifying God in the midst of that. <clears throat> because he's given her to me. But do you see the difference? So when we come to God with our moral code and I followed the rules, God, do you think he wants that? Does it honor him? Does it show does 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 it show that I have worth that I feel his worth or that I value him in any way? No. It doesn't just shows I don't want to go to hell. It's all it shows. And if that's true, who am I really valuing? Yourself. Exactly. <laughs> the gospel turns on its ear any notion that serving God is about following a list of rules. It can't be. Does that mean the list of rules is not helpful? No, it doesn't mean that at all. The list of rules informs us of what a heart driven by love does. And the Apostle Paul goes on in chapters 12 and 13 for the rest of the two chapters to continue to give us a list of things. Now his list is a lot nicer than the Ten Commandments, and I really like it. But let's go to verse 3 through 8. Holiness. <clears throat> so the gospel sets us in this place where we want to honor God, where we want to value Him, where we want to show His worth. Okay? And we want to love him. It sets love loose in our hearts. Okay, so let's begin with verse 3. 
And I know you're all thinking, we're in verse, we're at verse three. How are we going to get through in 45 minutes? But it's okay. We can do it. <clears throat> for by the grace given to me, by the way, when the apostle Paul says for the grace, by the grace given to me, I say, okay, what he's talking about is his role as the leader of the church. That is what he's talking about. By the grace given to me. Okay. Earlier on, I think it's in Romans, pretty sure. He talks about the grace and apostleship that he's been given to preach the gospel to the nations. He's hearkening back to that. Okay, out of the grace that's been given to me as an apostle over you, I say to you. Okay, so he's talking about out of my place of authority that I was given by grace, not because I deserve it, but out of this role that I've been given to function, hear me. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But think of your think with sober judgment. Now, we love to take this verse and use it as a gigantic bat to beat down our uh, self consciousness. We love to take this verse. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You're a peon and you're horrible and we hate you. Okay, that's what we love to do. We love to take that verse and say, "Stop it! Stop valuing yourself! Stop valuing the work of God in you! Stop it!" That's what we love to do because the enemy loves to do that. The enemy loves to take verses like this and say, "See, you know, you shouldn't think of yourself at all. You should just hate all that you are and just despise yourself." And that's not the apostle. That's not what the apostle Paul is saying at all. Not even a little bit. Okay, hear what the Apostle Paul is saying. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. In other words, you ought to think of yourself highly, just not just don't think of yourself too highly. Do you hear that? Yes. Okay, he's not saying don't think of yourself highly. He didn't say that. He said don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Okay, so hear that. And we love to take that and just make it into some kind of self-deprecating thing where we're just like, I'm horrible, and, and I'm obviously loving Jesus by thinking I'm horrible. No, that's not true. It's just not true. That's stupid. Don't do that. Okay? Think of yourself with sober judgment. When he says sober judgment, he, what he means is look at yourself with, uh, out of the place of reality. Who are you really? Be sober about it. Don't be drunk on your own accomplishments and glory. <laughs> and don't be an angry drunk saying, I hate myself. Okay, he's saying, be sober. Look at yourself. Look at the truth of who you are and what you have to offer. Pay attention to what God's put in you and what he hasn't put in you. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Get this. What you have to contribute to the body of Christ is faith. Okay? And it comes from faith. And if you're going to contribute to the body of Christ, you're going to contribute through your faith. We're not going to get to Romans chapter 14 today. We will get through 13. We're not going to get to 14. But Romans 14.23 says this. Anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Oh, that's another tattoo it on your soul verse, okay? There's a lot of them in Romans. I'm sorry, there's a lot of you're just gonna get tatted up. <laughs> Anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. If you're not doing it out of faith, I don't care what it is. I don't care if you're feeding the poor. I don't care if you are I don't I don't care what you're doing. If it's not coming out of the place of faith, 
if it's not born out of faith, if it's not born out of an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, 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 and that place of, I, I have been given everything and I deserve nothing, if it doesn't come out of faith, it's a sin. It's a sin. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter how good it is. Which is, by the way, why we need to understand, this is why the world, even the best people in the world doing the best things, God looks at the things that they do and He's like, I really like that. I really like what you're doing. Okay? Bill Gates is giving billions of dollars to, to try and educate uh, children all over the world and whatever, and feed people and get rid of malaria and blah, blah, blah. Just billions and billions of dollars. Same thing with Warren Buffett. And God looks at those guys and he's like, I really like what you're doing, but you haven't pleased me. Because it's not born of faith. Okay, understand it. Hebrews 11 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God because in order to please God, you have to believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. I could preach all day on that verse because that's a great one. But <clears throat> without faith it is impossible to please God. Romans 14, 23. Nothing, anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Okay. By the grace of God, uh, God has given me um, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Everything I'm about to talk about comes birthed out of faith. Okay. Are we all, are, we're all on the same page here. Okay, great. It only works when you're exercising faith. For as in one body we have many members, and members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Okay, wait a minute. By the grace given to me. Oh, that's in verse 3. And then he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Okay, so this is the picture. Okay, we have the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. But every member of the body works differently. We've got a finger, we've got a toe, we've got a tongue, we've got a tooth, we've got an ear, we've got a nose. Okay. Oh, I'm the nose. I didn't notice. Okay. Now, the nose of the body. Check this out. Okay. Can the finger really look at the nose and say, psh, you're nothing? No. You know, I mean, if he can't, that'd be stupid. I mean, that'd be ridiculous. If all we had were fingers, there'd be no smelling anything. And that doesn't make any sense at all. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, get a grip of who you are and what you are here to contribute. And contribute it with everything that you have while valuing, value what it is that God has given to you by grace to contribute to this body. You need to have a value for who you are and the role you play in this beautiful body that God has put together. Understand, you're not here for no reason. You are here for a purpose. And you need to figure out what that purpose is and value that purpose by fulfilling that purpose. There's people that are like, well, I'm nothing, so I'm just going to sit in a corner and do nothing. That, not only is that... Okay, uh, a lot of people would say, well, I'm just humble, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want my, my gifts to be, you know, what I, out in this, I don't need to be in spotlight. I don't, I don't, nobody needs to see me. Stop it. Grow up. Because if you are keeping your gift out of the body, not only are you not loving God, but you're not loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need you. We need you to be you in the midst of us. There's only one you. There's only one. 
And you aren't loving us if you aren't being you in our midst. Okay? And that sounds crazy. That sounds ludicrous to some people. They're like, but I shouldn't be me. I should be more like somebody else. No, that's not true. If you were supposed to be somebody else, I don't know why it sounded like Homer Pyle. I don't know. I don't know. It's just the way it came out. These characters don't arise out of anything that makes sense. Okay? Uh, but... You understand what the Apostle Paul is saying to you. If you really want to love the people around you, you do it by being the person God created you to be. Because you are here for a reason. You are here, and all the people around you are here because God put you where you are. And he likes you in this mix. Does that make sense? And you have a role to play. And when you step out because you don't like the role God's given you, you are disobeying God and you're dishonoring what he wants to do in and through you. Does that make sense to everyone? This is yes? This is no? Okay. All right. Get that. Get that. You have gifts. You Grace has been given to you. Faith has been given to you. And you know what? You're going to have faith for stuff that other people don't have faith for. You are. You have faith for things that other people don't have faith for. That's why you're here. Okay? That's why you're here. Somebody has to have faith for the nursery. Right? And somebody has to have faith for the youth group. And somebody has to have faith for the worship team. And somebody has to have faith to, to be in the place of prayer. And somebody has to have faith. Does this make sense? There has to, We have to function as a team. Nobody can do this all by themselves. And one of the things I hate most, as, I, as I've been a pastor so many times, there's people looking to me like, give me an assignment. And I'm like, no! God gave you an assignment, and you need to figure out what it is and get busy. Don't ask me to tell you what to do. I don't want to tell you what to do. And when I sit down with leaders or with people that are like, I want to help. How can I help? I'm like, I don't know. Who are you? What has God put in you? What do you love? What do you care about? How, what is your bent? How are you created? Because then we can talk about how you can help. Because I want to know who you are. I'm not just going to throw you, I need a warm body in that corner over there. No, I, no that isn't how the body works. You don't find a finger over here because, you know, we needed to fill up some extra space. The body, God, you know. That's gross. I can tickle myself. I'm sorry. Um. So, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So not only are you robbing the body of, I mean, not only are you, are you not doing what God wants you to do, but you're robbing your brothers and sisters of what God can do and wants to do through you and you alone. Remember that God doesn't do anything without human cooperation. 
Is everybody okay? Was <laughs> <laughs> there a phone? I thought someone was dialing. God doesn't do anything with that human question. It's, it's downstairs. And, <clears throat> We've heard that from all the God, downstairs? Yes, I hear it all the time. I used, I used to pray up here all the time and, and constantly. Yeah. I mean, you know, There's an office below. Yeah. It's, it's Pam's office. You know Pam Gonzalez who does the... Mm-hmm. the yeah. She also loves to listen to Southern Gospel music at a very high level. Okay. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If you don't know what your gifts are, you need to find out. Period. Because if you don't know what your gifts are, you don't know what your role is. If you don't know what your gifts are, you can't do what you're supposed to do. If you want to know what your gifts are, start thinking about what you're passionate about because that's probably where your gifts lie. Probably. There's a lot of people who are really passionate about music and they don't have gifts there. But we're going to keep moving. It's true, though. It's very true. And being the worship leader or whatever, I'm usually the guy that has to break it to them. I love your passion for worship, but you can't sing to save your life. So be passionate about so worshiping. Go, go. Just be an example down there. <laughs> <laughs> Such is life. Yes. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, okay? If you've been given, if you operate in the gift of prophecy, you should be prophesying, period. Do you understand? Yes. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, that's what I'm doing right now, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, that is a gift, by the way. There is a gift of giving. And if God gives that to you, check this out. It's kind of cool. Because the people that have been given the gift of giving have also been given the resource to give. And the more they give, the more resource God pours into their lives. There are people in this church that literally... Just give, 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 give. Because that's their gift. And God keeps blessing them with enormous sums of money. And they just keep turning around and giving it out. And I love it. It's so cool. And we need to understand that that is a gift that some people are given. Unfortunately, it's not one of my gifts. I would kind of like for it to be my gift, but maybe that's why it's not my gift. I don't know. But God would be like, uh, you wouldn't give it away. You would just buy much more, you know, more iPads and things. <laughs> okay. 128 games. I had an iPad for my house. Yeah, Who knows what I would do, but okay. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal. Leadership is a gift. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I love that. Okay, guys. Find out what your gifts are and give wholeheartedly. That's how you love people. That's how you love the body. And that's how you love Jesus. Find out who you are and be you. It's a beautiful thing. It's so much fun. This is what God wants. This is God. God's desire and design for us is to be who He designed us to be and to enjoy it. That's so great. How liberating is that? I love it. Okay, verse 9. Let love be genuine. All right, remember, he's, he's, this is just the, the practical outflow. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. 
Love one another with brotherly affection. This next phrase is one of my favorites. Outdo one another in showing honor. Okay? And the, the one thing you're allowed to be competitive in in the body of Christ is how much you honor the people around you. <laughs> I am going to compete with you about how much honor I'm going to give to you. That is, a, that is a competition I can buy into right there. No, I want to honor you more than you honor me. No, I want to honor you more than you honor me. I mean, imagine what it would be like if we all caught this fever of outdoing one another in honor. Imagine what it would be like if the whole body of Christ, nobody would have a need... Nobody in the body of Christ would be afraid to tell somebody else, man, you know, this is real. I'm really struggling with this. Because there's this beautiful thing. And there's this book called Culture of Honor, which I would love for all of you to read, by the way. But, <clears throat> which is all about this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let's be crazy in love with each other. <coughs> for real. Let's just be like, ah, like, I love you so much. Here, I want to give you my favorite thing. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Let's outdo one another. <coughs> Oh, you thought you honored me, but I'm going to honor you. You know, I mean, that's crazy. Can you imagine what it would be like? If we, if we honestly, if we said, I, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. I want to be somebody who honors everybody more. I want to honor everybody more than anybody else does. I want to be the one that honors everybody the most. And you can't be conceited about that because you're constantly honoring people. You're just lifting them up. You can't, people aren't going to go, he's so arrogant, he's honoring people all the time. <laughs> that doesn't work. You can't be arrogant about honoring somebody else. Like, can you believe him? He washed my feet. I mean, come on. I, okay. He, he went out and bought gifts for everyone. And he went, you know, and, 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 and the thing is, if you're honoring yourself, you're not honoring somebody else. And so you can't, you can't be like, you know, you can do everything anonymously. You can be like giving away, but nobody knows who it was that gave it to him. Okay. It's beautiful. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love it. Okay. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. The original Greek there says, don't be, don't be slothful in zeal. That's, that's very, very accurate. But then the next, be fervent in spirit actually means boil in spirit. Like be this, be this rolling boil of passion for God and for your brother and sister, brothers and sisters in Christ. I love that. It's like, let's, let's be excited about something, people. Can we be excited about something? I loved it. If you, uh, I don't know if you guys are here, but for the little kids Christmas thing. Were you here for that when the little kids got up and, and sang whatever? There was this one little boy. He was so cute in the first service that after every song, he was like, Yay! We did it! Yay! He was like, he was like three years old. And after every song, he's like, Way to go, guys! Like, he was so, and I was like, I love you, kid! I wanted, I wanted to go up there and like pick him up and go, Church, this is what we should all be like right here! But don't be slothful and zeal, but be... Fervent in spirit, let's be excited about things. Let's be, let's be, let's ah, let's enjoy life. Let's enjoy each other. Let's be passionate about some things. Jesus is a burning man. We've got to get this about him. One, one of the, I wrote this poem years ago. I don't remember any of the rest of it, but there's this one phrase that I've that 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 just rolls through my head all the time. Wildly passionate to all of his extremes. Okay, that's Jesus. There's nothing in Jesus that's like blasé and bored. Okay, Jesus is the least bored person 
in the universe. He's so passionate about everything that he's passionate about. He's so, there is nothing in Jesus that he's like, well, I kind of care about that, but not really. No, that, <laughs> Jesus isn't that way about anything. Jesus is the wildest, the wildest, most passionate person in the universe. He's just like, I love you! You know, I mean, it's just like unbelievable. You know, <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no part of him that's, yeah, exactly. Like, okay. You think, you think Buddy the Elf is amazing. You wait until Jesus sees us. Wait until you step into heaven and Jesus is like, He's going to be more excited about seeing us than we are about seeing him. Think about that for five seconds. Jesus, when Don Pfeiffer stepped across that line into heaven uh, last Thursday night, I love that man. Guys, I got to tell you, that man, talk about being fervent in zeal. This man, Don Pfeiffer, we just had the funeral for yesterday. He was passionate about everything that he did. He was passionate about, about fishing. He was passionate about, about his wife. He served her hand and foot for three years while she could barely get out of bed. He just, you know, he just, that's all he did. That was what his whole life was about, was just serving his wife while she was, while she was ill. Oh my gosh. I used to go over there every couple weeks and just sit with them. And it just, it just undid me. The, 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 the passion that he had for, he, there was no weariness in him. Even after three years of constantly taking care of his wife, he was still totally there. I never once saw him go, I just can't do this anymore. Never. It was, I love her and I'm here. You know, he was, he was helping her in the bathroom. He was helping her. He was bathing her, okay? I mean, this, this is like, I mean, I'm not talking about, like, bringing her food. I, he, he took care of her every moment for three, for three years. And, and, but he was also, I remember the first time I went over to their house, and I've known them my entire life. I, we lived down the street from them from the time I was two years old, and, and I, I've known them and loved them forever. And I went over to their house to visit, and, and, and I sat, and we sat there for three hours. And there was this one, and this man was such a prayer warrior. This is one of his greatest gifts. He was such a prayer warrior. It was unbelievable. And when he looked me in the eyes that day and said, I pray for you. Betty and I pray for you every day. I felt like my soul just tremble, like, oh my gosh. Like, I can't imagine where my life would be if I hadn't had this man and his wife praying for me. You know, and just like, oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable! But <clears throat> up until the very last moments of his life, he was fervent in zeal, just boiling in spirit, ah, just passionate about everything. He was passionate about his corny jokes. He was passionate about fishing. He was passionate about cooking. He was passionate about loving his wife. He's passionate in prayer. He was passionate soul winner. You could not spend five minutes with Don Pfeiffer before he asked you if you were a Christian and if you loved Jesus. It was just unbelievable. Every nurse that came to help take care of his wife during that time got at least one, if not a million gospel presentations given to them. But they still love him to pieces because he did it out of honest care and love for those for those ladies and 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 you know that's just who he was to the core and we lost a great man last week we really did and i know none of you guys probably even knew him but oh my gosh i can't when i hear these words don't be slothful and zeal but be fervent in spirit i think of don pfeiffer because that's who he was he was passionate about everything that he did there wasn't one thing not one thing that he was blasé and bored about. Not one thing. Not one thing that he was like, I don't care about that. 
<clears throat> the anti-hipster attitude. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going. Um, <laughs> rejoice in hope. Oh man, I love this. God's been teaching me about hope a little bit lately and the power of hope. And um, the Apostle Paul says, rejoice in hope. Guys, we should be the most hopeful people on the planet. Their despair should have no mark on us whatsoever because the creator of the universe is for you. <laughs> What do you have to be despairing about? I mean, give me a break. The worst possible thing that could happen to you is that you die and go to heaven. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> we should be the most hopeful people in the world. People, you know, we should be stepping into situations and having people going, what is wrong with you? It's like, I'm so excited about life. And then we, <laughs> then we should have people going, what are you on? And they go, <laughs> people used to ask me that in high school all the time what are you on it's like oh I just love Jesus they'd be like oh god <laughs> be, const- be patient in tribulation I love it yes your life is going to suck some days just be ready for that it's going to happen tribulation comes but be patient because it lasts this long okay this long. Remember what he said just a couple chapters ago. I consider that these present sufferings are nothing, nothing, nothing in comparison to the glory that will be revealed in me. It's nothing. <laughs> what we are headed for and what the rest of eternity is going to be like for us is so amazing and incredible that we should be able to deal with anything now because this lasts this long in comparison to that. It's <laughs> if nothing, yeah. Be patient in tribulation, because good things are coming. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. These are all just simple realities. This is what someone who's in love acts like. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I love that. We, we're actually pretty good at weeping with those who weep. We are terrible at rejoicing with those who rejoice. We're terrible at it. We, we are so bad. And we see something good happen to someone else. We're like, I hate you. That's sad. How come I did, that didn't happen to me? No, no, no. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's why he said it first. Okay? Listen up, people. When something good happens to somebody else, you should be so excited for them. You should be so, yes, that's awesome. I love that. Rejoice with them. That's what someone, when you love someone, you are happy when something good happens to them. And it's hard not to be jealous sometimes. It's hard to look at someone else's good fortune and be like, ah, that's great. It's, it's really hard sometimes, I know. But just do it. If you really love them, you will. Repay, uh, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. I love that. I love that. I tell my high school students all the time, I want you to go and find the least popular kid in school and I want you to love the crap out of them. That's so important. You know, Christians should be the ones that step in the way of the bully. Christians should be the ones that are going to the places where no one else would go, that are caring about the people no one else would care about. And in history, they were there was a gigantic, right, right as Christianity began to flourish in the Roman Empire, this is before it was actually uh, the, you know, the, the, the ruling, you know, it was still legal, still illegal at the time. There was a plague that erupted in Rome right around right after the time of Nero, okay, after the fire. Um, Nero's dead, and uh, the next, there was a plague that lasted a long time. 
Nobody knows what it was, smallpox, something bad. But Christians were going into houses where everyone in there was, was filled with the plague and they were just ministered to them. They didn't know who they were. But Christians were taking care of the sick in Rome. When everybody else was running away and saying we can't do it, Christians were going in and actually blessing those people. And because of that, a lot of Christians caught it and died. But they still did it with joy. That's what they did. I love that. I love that that's in the history books. Because that's what the church is supposed to look like. I love it when some kind of massive disaster happens and the first people on the scene are the convoy of hope or... or or you know somebody like that. The first people on the scene in Haiti were Christian missionaries who called in all of their, you know, whatever. And we had, you know, oh, I love it, I love it. I love it that the Assemblies of God is allowed to preach the gospel in North Korea because we have been constant source of aid to that country that has worked better than any other nation in the world. I love that. That just makes me a happy man because that's what we're supposed to do. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. I love that. Oh, I forgot to say, never be conceited. That's a big deal. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. Hear me, that's a really important one, okay? Make peace. If you know somebody's mad at you, go, go to them. Don't say, well, if they're mad at me, you know, they can come talk to me because I didn't do nothing. No, no. <laughs> No. If you think somebody's mad at you or somebody says, you know, so-and-so doesn't like you very much, go talk to them. As far... Now, if you can't reconcile with them and they're just going to be mad at you and there's nothing you can do and you tried, then whatever. That's not on you. That's on them. But you do what you can. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. If you can fix it, fix it, whether it's your fault or not. That's a big deal. People don't do that. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God. Oh my gosh. There should be no, no thought of, of revenge in your heart at all or payback in your heart at all. Do you know why? Do you know why? This goes back to a parable that Jesus told about the guy who owed the king a million bucks. And he walked in to the king's throne and begged him, please, I'll pay it back. And the king looks at him and says, no, I forgive you. Forget it. You don't owe me anything. And that guy was like, yeah, woohoo, that's, uh, that's awesome. And he leaves there and he goes walking out and he runs into a guy who owes him $5 and he's like, you better give me my money back right now. Okay. Does that make any sense at all? The king said, excuse me? And found out and threw the guy in jail. Okay. That's what happened. Okay. Why? Because I forgave you a million dollars and you're going to crack down on this guy for five? When we've been forgiven so much, when, we, when God deserves to get revenge on us by sending us to hell for eternity, and he doesn't, not only does he remove his own wrath, but then he puts blessing on us. Okay? That's where you live. You live in this place where you deserve nothing, but you're getting everything. How dare you go to somebody and say, You owe me. You did something mean to me, and I'm going to be mean to you. That's so stupid. 
excuse me, what did you do to God five minutes ago? What do you do to God every day? You're, have you looked at your thought life lately? But Jesus is like, I love you, and, I, and I'm gonna, I, I have done everything to, to bring you out of that place and make you holy. I've given you my righteousness in return for your filthy rags, and I love you. So don't, even, don't you dare look at anybody and be like, you know, you owe me something. You shouldn't have done that to me. I feel so mad at you. No, let it go. How dare you? That's so crap. You obviously don't understand the gospel if that's true. If you are carrying a grudge right now, you need to get it taken care of. And I mean immediately. And I don't care what it is. You know, there's people who've gone through really horrible things in their lives. I mean, really, really terrible, terrible things. Unthinkable things. <clears throat> but if you're a Christian, you have, you have no right not to forgive the people that did those to you. You just don't. And that, that's heavy, I know. But you have no right to hold them accountable when you have been forgiven of so much. You just have no right. None. Leave it to the wrath of God, it says, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. You know what's amazing? God says, vengeance is mine, and I will repay. He meant it. Vengeance is mine, but I will repay. Hear that? He isn't saying, vengeance is mine, and I'll get him in the end. That's not what he's saying. Vengeance is mine, but I will repay. Do you see? That vengeance, that deserved thing, was paid by God on the cross. He poured out his vengeance on Jesus. He repaid it himself. There will be a day when the unrepentant and those who refuse the gift that God was willing to give them will have vengeance poured out on them. But God won't rejoice in the doing of it. And neither should we. The Antichrist will be, the, will be the level, a level of evil beyond anything the world has ever seen. We will never have seen someone... If you think Hitler was bad, you wait. If you think Stalin or these other guys were bad, you wait. The Antichrist is going to make them all look like second graders. <clears throat> but even then, we won't rejoice at his being sent to the lake of fire. We won't. And God won't. But he refused the mercy that was available to him. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's a direct uh, 
quote of Proverbs. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love that. Now, again, all the way through this next chapter, this is all about how to love and what it looks like to live out a life of love unleashed by the gospel. But now he talks about what it means to be a good citizen. So he says, let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there's no authority except for God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So yes, Barack Obama has been given his authority by Jesus Christ. And Christian leaders that stand up in the pulpit and rail against him are fools. It makes me really mad. They apparently haven't read Romans chapter 13. By the way, railing against someone and then saying, but I submit to him and I pray for him, does not count as railing. It doesn't count as being submissive to authority. You can be upset about things that happen and things that they do, and you can talk about that kind of thing. I don't, appreciate, I don't think this is appropriate. I don't like this. Okay? But when you begin to attack that place of authority, you have stepped over your bounds. When you call someone who's in that place an idiot or a fool or a... You've stepped beyond your bounds. You can't do it. I know. Trust me, I know. Everybody's mad about Obama. I don't care. Shut your mouth. Honor the man. He's the President of the United States. At least for a few more years. That's just the way it is. Whoever resists authorities resists God. It's right there. Verse 2. What God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. Now check this out. There's a thing that we call common grace, which is what we call good that's done in the world apart from God and apart from the rulership of God. Okay? And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He never calls it common grace. That's a, that's a theologian word. Okay? Common grace is good things that happen in the world apart from the, apart from the direct intervention of God. It's good things that happen. Um, you know, And one of the things that he's talking about as common grace is rulers and authorities have been put in place so that we can limit the amount of bad things that happen. Okay, And that's what he's talking about right here. He just continues to go on. Uh, you need to understand that those rulers and those authorities, even if they're corrupt, they're in that place. Because if they weren't, think about what more horrible things would happen. If the, if the human government wasn't where it's supposed to be, then life would suck for humans. That's just true. Right? I mean, you guys understand that. You may not like the government. You may be like, I don't want to pay my taxes, you know, okay? But get it, okay? The United States government is, in a lot of ways, deeply corrupt. In a lot of ways, they're messed up. And, and there's a lot of bad things that are going on. But I'll tell you this. This is the most godly government that has ever existed on the planet. When I think about things like... I was listening to... This is the 50th anniversary today. It's the 50th anniversary of the beginning of the War on Poverty, which is where we get, like... Uh, um, unemployment and food stamps and uh, welfare and all that kind of stuff all began 50 years ago today. 
And there's a lot of people, you know, Republicans and, and others, the conservatives that are like, that's horrible and we shouldn't do that, blah, blah, blah. And I get that. I really do. But at the same time, I think about the thousands and thousands of people that are being blessed every day that would be starving right now if it weren't for this. And I can't help but feel like God's got to be pleased. I, I know. I get it. There's a lot of people that abuse the system, and that's the truth, and that shouldn't happen, but it's always going to happen because they're human beings. I get that, and that's fine, whatever. But I can't look at that system and not think that God's pleased with the intent and God's pleased with a lot of the outcome. Does that make sense? You know, there was a welfare system in ancient Israel. There was. Now, it required people to work for them to gain what they got from it. Uh, was, but but like when you were harvesting your grain, you were supposed to leave anything that that didn't like. Um, you're supposed to leave basically about about a tenth of it in the field, so the poor could come and reap for themselves. That's what you were supposed to do. Now that was what we call work fair, and I would be much more excited about something like that than what we have now. Mm-hmm. But. It was still there. God cares about people t- being taken care of the poor, and he did it through a governmental function. So I don't, I don't know if, I'll, if a lot of people that argue about this kind of thing really have their head on straight. Let's continue to go. Therefore, one must be, I'm going to skip down to verse 5, <clears throat> one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. If you lie to the IRS, you are sinning. End of discussion. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. In other words, pay your employees and pay them well. God blesses fairness. Yeah, that's... Really important. Respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. Let's love each other. Let's be fair. Okay. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another is fulfilling the law. Okay. So the rest of this, he's, gonna, he's basically talking about, or at least uh, through the end of verse 10. He's saying that all of the Mosaic law was fulfilled in this reality when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Which is also from the Mosaic law, to be honest. Love your neighbor as yourself is, is in the Mosaic law. But it's like we talked about earlier. If you love people, you're going to treat them the way Jesus would treat them. And that's something we need to understand. Okay? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a super important thing. Uh, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is a fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. In other words, we're in the end times. By the way, we've been in the end times since the day of Pentecost. Okay? The Apostle Paul got up and said, in, that, in the, the, the end times, God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. That's what we're seeing right now. Guess what? It's been happening for 2,000 years. We've been in the end times. Be excited about that, okay? Because that means we're really close now. If they were closer to salvation when they first believed back then, we're really close now, okay? So it's, it's good. We're 2,000 years closer. Who knows? There might be another 2,000 years, but I highly doubt it. 
For the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. I love that. Paul, waxing poetic there. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear this part, and make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. What does that mean? You don't have the opportunity to... to, I'm not going to be someone who's ruled by the gospel today. I'm going to put that away. Okay, Just don't do it. Don't. You're You're begging for trouble. You're just begging for trouble. Let love rule your life. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Okay, that's it. We're done with chapter 13. It is a short chapter. Next time we will finish the book of Romans, I think. I'm going to be sad to see it go. It's like the whole three chapters. We're almost technically done reading 1 Corinthians, right? Yes, I know. We haven't even started discussing it yet. Wait a second. Does that mean we lose you? No. Because then I move on to Corinthians. And we're we're both like five weeks behind. So. Yes. I was like, we might have no, like a no, day I was, su- I was supposed to be doing two chapters every week. And we, 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 and we had several. We had, yes, but we also had several weeks where I only did one chapter. And then we only had, we had one week where, I only, where we actually took one chapter and split it into two weeks. So, But it was Romans chapter 8. The face built guitar solo of the New Testament. I think, I think that it deserves it deserves. That's what you remind me of. 